listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 4th of October 2021. Later, agri-land values tip to rise more in the coming years, but first to the Australian share market, which rose 1.3% to 7,278. The Commonwealth Bank, a big winner, up 4.6%. But another sector which did well today, the travel sector, flight centre, Qantas, corporate travel management, Webjet, all hit 52-week highs today as investors look to an easing of international border restrictions and what it says about the reopening economy. For more on that in particular, I spoke earlier with Evan Lucas from Invest Smart. Yeah, so we've been describing that all year as the bellwether. So if we want to know where we think things are going to be in 12 months' time, they were the bellwether. We are going to be, according to the market, as back to normal as possible in 2022. That means international travel. It means interstate travel. It means the ability to go on a holiday that you've been wanting to do for you know the last 18 months to 20 months is going to happen. It does also mean that international students are going to return to Australia. That's what the market is, is telling us. There are, though, some overarching themes. Uh, the big one tapering, specifically mm-hmm. from the US. However, we, we, we think that the RBNZ may lift interest rates this week. H- how does all of this play out on the equity markets? Yeah, so I think we need to put this into a bit of uh, an understanding. This is actually a good thing. And why I say that is that quantitative easing was there as an emergency support mechanism for what happened last year and for what's happened for most of this year as well. Let's let's put that out there. So for them to actually now say they're going to start unwinding that, that's what we refer to as tapering, that means that they believe that the economy is standing on its own two feet, people's confidence is still relatively strong, employment is up, and inflation is moving the way they want. So the reason I put that there is that That is why they're now going to unwind this. From an equity perspective, though, that is a slowing down. It means there's not as much money backstopping the market. There's not as much money going into, you know, the individual or the business sort of back pocket from a government perspective. They're going to have to stand on their own two feet. So that means that from an equity perspective, that is a slight negative. But you need to put it into context. Don't forget, from basically October last year to where we are now, we're up on a 52-week basis almost 28% in the US. It's about 24% here in Australia. Year to date, it's about 10%. So a pullback and those clouds that will come with this is not a bad thing because we've had an extraordinary run and it has been because we've been supported and we do now need to show that we can stand on our own two feet and get on with it. How much of a concern is Evergrande now? Because we see that its shares Mm. have been suspended from trade in Hong Kong. Is it, are you still worried about it? Is there a potential spillover effect? You have to be. Look, the one thing you've got to remember, though, when I say that is that this is China. It's not like a Japan where they were a more open, democratized country where they've had situations like this in the past. You've got to look at the last 35 years of history. There is still a very, very high probability that Beijing will step in and find a way to catch a collapse. It doesn't look great. Let's be honest. Suspending your shares in Hong Kong is not a great thing. The ability for shareholders to therefore take money out, which from my view, because they haven't given us a reason why they've done this, but it feels like it's the reason would be to stop money leaving the company. And that's you know a way of stopping that is to stop trading in equities and therefore people withdrawing their money out of the company. That would be my assumption of what's going on is to try and slow the, the outflow of capital out of the company. And it does make you concerned. But my underarching view is that Beijing will step in and support it and somewhat catch it. It will be messy and there will be heartache around it. 
But China is different to most other nations in the fact that the state has a huge part to play in how all operations happen. Finally, energy, coal, oil, gas, prices are all surging. Despite a move to renewables, what's your take on the sector? That's a short and a long-term story. So right here and now, this is what I refer to at the moment as reverse COVID. And why I say that, in April last year, remember, we had a negative oil price at one point because the whole world had stopped. The demand for oil and the need to transport yourself had stopped. So this time around, the supply was sort of back at the start of the year supply levels, even at the end of last year supply levels. But the reopening speed has been significantly faster than expected. So you've got a higher level of demand, not as great level of supply. You've also had natural disasters in the States like Hurricane Ida. All of those coming together has caused this spike in oil prices. It also means that getting out of the issue of energy sort of shortages, also the amount for production of steel is where coal comes into it. And that's the coal story. So it's a here and now story. What I would highlight, though, and getting back to the first part of your question about, you know, the future of renewable energy. You can't go past what's also happened. BP and Shell have admitted that oil will probably be peak consumption in 2025 and then it will fall away. BHP is selling out of their petroleum business and telling you that they're moving into the future of energy, which is your nickels, your coppers, your rare earths, the cobalts of this world. So if you look at that, this is a here and now story. But if you look in 5, 10, 15, 20, and realistically, the more likely is 20 to 50 years time, renewable energy and some form of energy that involves new age technology, that is the future. It won't be oil. Evan Lucas there from InvestSmart. Now to agricultural land and prices there. They are expected to continue to rise. That's according to some new forecasts from Rabobank. And earlier I spoke with its uh, banking agri-analyst, Wesley Lefroy. Yeah, so we've been describing that all Not in the last 30 years have the macro fundamentals been so supportive of ag land prices. Last year, we recorded double-digit growth rates across four of the six states across Australia. We've seen farmer demand at record highs, and, and really that's been prompted by commodity prices, either at or near record highs for most commodities, record high production levels, but also record low interest rates that, that supported farmer purchasing power. Uh, these factors, are they likely to continue and why? We expect over the next five years that growth will continue with growth at its sharpest towards 2023. We're expecting that commodity prices will come off a little bit in the next two years but still remain strong. Production obviously will vary from year to year, but interest rates we're not expecting uh, will increase until 2024, which will continue to support purchasing power. Do you have an idea in terms of how much those land values will increase by? What have you got in your forecasts? We're expecting that land prices will increase by 10% in 2021, followed by 8% in 2022. Now, once we get past 2023, we are looking to lower growth at around 1% to 2%. Our assumption there is that we will see a return to, to more average prices, but but also more average commodity um, production levels as well. So we w- we do expect that there will be some time that the market takes a breath and productivity catches up uh, to land prices. Is it just? 
farmers, existing farmers looking to buy land? Are there city folk coming in also looking to perhaps for a change of lifestyle? Who is buying farms varies considerably from location to location. So particularly around the major cities, and we've seen this in areas of Gippsland, around Melbourne and even to the north and and western Melbourne as well, where we're seeing more and more lifestyle buyers, if you like, head out of the city. And and that's particularly being prompted by COVID. We've also got more and more corporate buyers coming into the market. And and we expect that that corporate investors will continue to add another layer of demand in the market uh, as well. And that, of course, is already on top of the the traditional family farm, if you like, who who are continuing to to buy land at, at a record pace as well. And which part of the country is seeing the the biggest increase in value and why? So we recorded a 28.3% increase in in Tasmania. We recorded double-digit increases in in Western Australia, uh, Victoria um, and Queensland as well. Now, what we've seen in in those regions in particular is, is that really demand has continued to outweigh supply. Now, we have recorded slightly slower growth rates in New South Wales and and, and South Australia, um, but that was mainly due to there being a a bigger portion of sales in in areas where there's lower value, but but also um, medium level value as well. Wesley Lefroy there from Rabobank. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.